Now, there's a saying out there, and it goes like this, love makes fools of us all. Uh, that's why we have the camp crazies on fat. Um, love and sex makes people do crazy things sometimes. And maybe you're in your, you're in your seven, maybe the crazy hasn't quite set in yet for you. But I can speak confidently about this, because I too am a victim of love. Yep. Thanks, guys. Uh, the year was 2001. I was in year 11, and I was in love. Yeah, someone was like, wow, that's like I wasn't born. That's all right. I was in love, and it made me into a fool. I can remember this day, um, I was at my friend's house, and we're hanging out at his friend's house. It's a bit confusing, but I'm hanging out at a house, and there were two people at that house that day who I had weird relationships with. One was this girl that I had a big crush on, and the other was my friend's housemate who owned the house, who just didn't like me, and I never figured out why. Maybe he liked this girl too. Who, kn who knows? But I spent the day there hanging out, and we're like swimming in the pool and mucking around. I'm doing my best to flirt with this girl. Probably wasn't very good at it, as you'll see from the rest of my story. Anyway, I'm doing my best. Um, but at the end of the day, we all went home, but I noticed a small thing. As she left, she accidentally left her rashy hanging on the pool fence. And I was like, I see an opportunity here. Sounds a bit stalkerish, doesn't it? And I was like, I reckon I can do something with this. And I was like, I know. I'll grab the rashi for her, I'll take it home, and then I'll give it back to her at church. And I'll be like, I'll grab this for you, and then we can chat. And who knows where that's going to take you once you've got someone's rashi, right? That's what I was thinking. So I took her rashi, and I'm driving home. I used to live like near Wang, driving a long way home, and I'm talking to my friend, and I, and I was like, hey, dude, I grabbed her rashi. She left it, I'm going to give her at church tomorrow, it's going to be so good, we'll talk, and she'll probably want to marry me. Um, and he was like, man, that wasn't her rashi. She was borrowing that off the dudes who owned the house. And I like hit the brakes hard and pulled over. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I've stolen this guy's rashi and he hates me. I cannot let this guy find out that, I, that I've stolen his rashi. I can't let this guy find out why I've stolen his rashi. So I'm freaking out. And I had one choice. Did a U-turn, drove back to the house at Wombrel where we were. And I spent like a good 30 minutes sneaking into this stranger's house trying to return this rashi. So it was like up the driveway, noise, stop, bushes, keep going, get up the side fence, climb over it into his backyard, working my way around. There's a dog in the backyard that he owns as well. It's going crazy. I'm like, shut up, dog. I've never had a dog so much in my life. And I had to get it all the way onto the pool fence, never saw me, and I legged it and I got out and no one ever knew, except for now. Yeah, but anyway, there you go. Um, <laughs> I've told this story once before and I gave the name and it wasn't my wife and it embarrassed the poor girl who it was. So, um, mm. no, she's not in here. Uh, ask me later on, I'll tell you later on. All right, anyway, love makes fools of us all. Now, I'm sure some of you guys will have your own stories as well of some crazy stuff you've done and it's kind of nice and it's kind of cute when people do crazy stuff for love. But just think about that for a second. Why do we do crazy stuff like that? Why do we do the things we do for love? And sometimes it's just, that's just who we are as humans and that's fine. But I reckon sometimes lurking in the background behind all that fun and the cuteness and the crushes and the craziness can actually be a huge idol, a huge idol. Love and sex, they're good gifts from God. They're good gifts from God. But too often, I think we can kind of take them and put them up on a pedestal. A pedestal is like a high thing. And we like grab them. We're like, this is the ultimate thing, love and this person or whatever. And we put it up on this pedestal. And we end up worshipping the good gift from God 
rather than the good God who gave it to us. I've seen a lot of young Christians abandon Jesus over some girl or some guy that they like. They leave behind the God that they love because they're chasing this person. And the crazy thing is that they actually lose the one thing that's worth worshipping. They lose the one true God when they leave him behind. And in the, in the process, they end up trashing their own lives as well because their false gods always let them down. Now, tonight we're going to dig into the idol of love and sex. And before we do that, guys, I actually need to warn you, um, we're going to be looking at a very confronting passage in the Bible tonight. It's not the one we read. We'll look at that later. Uh, I really wrestled with whether I I wanted to do this passage with you guys here at FAT. Um, But I think what I worked out is the world's going to talk about this stuff and you're going to hear about this stuff one way or another. And I'd rather you hear it from God's Word than get the wrong message from the world. Uh, And so rather than pretend this stuff doesn't happen, we're going to have a chance to dig into some pretty heavy stuff tonight. But as we do that, we're going to hear the God of the universe teaching us His way with all these things. Now, for some of you, you may not understand everything that's said in this passage, and that's actually okay. You'll understand what you need to, and it's cool if you don't understand all the details. That's fine. For some of you, though, you'll actually experience some of the stuff this passage is talking about, some of the stuff that happens to this girl, Tamar, in the passage. Um, And I'm so deeply sorry, if this is you, that you've had to experience that. And my hope is that you're going to be helped by God's Word tonight. You'll find comfort and find hope there. And if tonight is a tricky passage or talk for you to sit through, that's okay. If you need to take some space up the back or go find some space, that's all right. Some leaders might look after you as well. But for all of us, this is going to be worth it because we're going to hear the God of the universe speak into a very important part of our lives. So I want to pray now, and we'll dive in. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you're not silent, and that you speak into the tough stuff in life as well. Father, I prayed for tonight, please, that you would take our minds and take the way we see the world, and you would flip it upside down and show us your view on reality. Pray you'd help us to see love and sex in their proper place as good gifts from you and and transform us by your word tonight. Amen. All right. Come to 2 Samuel chapter 13 with me. So 2 Samuel, it's near the start of the Bible. Take a moment to find it. Use the inside of your cover of your Bible if you need to. Come to 2 Samuel 13 because this is where we're going to hang out. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Flip there. You're going to hear about some um, children of King David in this story. So King David ruled over Israel. Here's what happens for some of his kids. Now, as you're flipping there, who's already hot because the fans aren't on? Put your hand up if you're already hot. All right, cool. We'll turn them on number one, if that's all right. So so I think they should be on one already. So no, no, you're right. I think they'll do it up the back. You, oh, good work. Anyway, turn the fans on. And... 2 Samuel chapter 13. Is there? Cool. All right, here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Check out the start of a, of a tragic story in verse 1. In the course of time, Amon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Now, if you didn't catch that, Amon and Tamar are a brother and sister. Um, now, there's a, that's a problem for a few reasons. Uh, well, we'd just say, well, that's gross. He fell in love with his sister. That's a problem. But in the Old Testament law, God forbids brother and sister to marry each other as well. They shouldn't get married. That's a good rule. 
But the problem is that doesn't actually stop Amon. Um, he thinks that he's in love, and you can actually see what this idol of love and sex is doing to him. It's messing him up. Look at verse 2. Amon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. You can start to get the hint of the fact that Amon's dealing with an idol here, and you get the sense of what this love story, it's not a love story, really is. It says, it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Amon's not interested in real loving sex, the kind you'd find in marriage. His love is about what he can do to her. That's what he's interested in. Boys, men, I'll speak to you as men, guys, you've got to get this into your heads. Real love is not interested in what you can do to her. That's not what real love is about. That's selfish, it's lust. Real love, loving sex, is about sacrificial service and care for the other person, not what you can do to her. That's the kind of thing that happens in a trusting marriage. And so girls, and, and guys, in fact... Watch out for the person who's all about what they can do to you. That's what they're interested in. They'll do anything. They'll say anything. They'll make you feel good. They'll charm you. But they don't love you. They're interested in using you and what they can get from you. And so run away from a person like that. Leave them behind. Anyway, back in this passage... Amon is driving himself crazy. He's making himself sick. His idol is already destroying him, but things don't get better. They actually get worse because his dodgy friend comes along in the next few verses, and they come up with a plan together. And the plan's basically this. Pretend you're sick, trick her into your room, and then you can take what you want. And so have a look at what happens in verse 8. So Amar went to the house of, his, of her brother... Sorry, so Tamar went to the house of her brother Amon who was lying down, pretending to be sick. She took some dough and kneaded it and made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amon said. So everyone left him. And then Amon said to Tamar, bring their food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread that she'd prepared and brought it into her brother Amon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He'll not keep you from being married to me. She's doing anything she can to stop this. She's speaking reason. She's saying, maybe we can sort this out another way. Amon has every reason not to go through with this. She's just told him, God hates it, it'll ruin me, it'll ruin you, everyone's going to hate you for this. But look what happens in verse 14. But he refused to listen to her, and since since he was stronger than she, he raped her. That's tragic, absolutely tragic. He's followed this idol into a very dark place. Um, But there's another terrible turn in the story as you read on, actually. See, Amon's lust, what he thinks is love, it turns on him in an instant. Have a look at verse 15. Then Amon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he'd loved her. And Amon said to her, 
get up and get out. A true love looks nothing like that. Amon thought he was in love, but he was really following an idol. He was worshipping a twisted version of love and sex. Idols never give us what we think they will. They'll always disappoint. And so Amon says, get out. He hates her more than he loved her. And and in fact, the, the guy who was so desperate a few minutes ago to trick her into his room... Now he's doing anything he can to get rid of her. And he says, get this woman out of my sight. I think he says that in verse 16. In the original language that this passage was written in, some of you will have this in your Bibles, um, it actually just says, get this out of my sight. That's what he literally says, get this out of my sight. He doesn't even see her as a person anymore. Love and sex is meant to be a beautiful gift from God. That's how God designed it. When we worship sex and when we worship love as an idol, it it wrecks havoc in our lives. It can lead to great evil that you might do to another. It It can destroy you and do great damage to other people as well. Now, if this is intense, bear with me, because that's the roughest part of the Bible we're going to look at tonight. But before we go any further, I actually want to talk to people who have experienced stuff like this themselves, who have been victims of perhaps rape or sexual assault. Um, if you've experienced your abuse, abuse, you need to hear a few things so desperately. So let me, let me speak to you. First thing is this, it is not your fault. It's not your fault. It's, it's so common for guys and girls who've been assaulted to feel a whole bunch of guilt themselves as if somehow they've done something wrong. But there is nothing you could have done to make this your fault. It absolutely is not. And maybe you somehow feel like maybe I did something. No, it is not your fault. You're a victim. It isn't something you've done. There's no mistake a person could make that would mean you deserve this. And I think often, particularly if you're a Christian, it can be really confusing because you know what the Bible says about sex outside of marriage and so you're like, well, have I done something wrong here? Absolutely not. No, it's not your fault. You've not sinned. Someone has sinned against you. They've done the wrong thing. In this passage, it's so clear, the blame lies with Amon. Tamar's a victim. Second, though, you've got to hear this, guys. God is deeply grieved by what has happened to you. He's deeply grieved. He hates what has happened to you. He's so angry at what has happened in your life. And and the Bible is very clear that it's it's evil, and, and God will judge people for the way they live and the way they treat others, unless they find forgiveness in in Christ, God will deal with them. Um, As a side note, I reckon we live in a world that's actually pretty confused about about how to deal with sexual violence, I think. I think our world's a bit twisted up, we're a bit marked up, because we live in a culture that really wants to hold on to two things. On the one hand, we want to say sexual violence is a terrible evil, and I want to say, amen, absolutely, I agree with that. But on the other hand, we live in a world that's desperate to say that sex and you should just go for it and indulge in any sort of thing you want and express your sexuality any way you feel like, no matter what, have fun, sleep around, enjoy porn in all its violent, messed up forms, boys will be boys. Enjoy Game of Thrones and shows like that that depict women and men as sex objects and mix a bunch of violence in there for a bit of fun as well. It's just a good story, right? Don't let anyone tell you what you can do with your sexuality. You express yourself 
Our world wants to say both of those things at once, but those things don't fit together. Because porn and trashy shows and the music that we listen to sometimes, all that stuff is selling us a lie about sex. And so we want our Game of Thrones and our boys will be boys, pornography and all this kind of stuff. But then we have to deal with the consequences when boys start behaving like Amon and girls start saying to themselves, well, I guess we just need to put up with a bit of abuse, don't we? Let them use us a bit. I guess that's what we're supposed to do. No! The God of the Bible screams at us from the pages of his word and says, this is evil. And there's a better way. There's a better way. Sex and love is a beautiful gift from God. So we need to listen to the creator and use it the way he tells us to. Third thing we've got to get about this, um, particularly if you've experienced abuse. There's comfort in God's love. There's comfort in God's love. He loves you more than you could imagine. Now, knowing God's love doesn't just magically solve all the problems that you'll face in this life. But I'll tell you this, there's nothing better in this life than knowing God's love. Absolutely is the best thing you can know. Know his love, know his forgiveness. And so no matter how badly people in your life has treated you, God loves you deeply. And we're going to hear more about that in a second. Once again, guys, I'm sorry if this is intense. We're pretty much through the really intense stuff, so stick with me. Last thing is this. I do want to say this. Um, if, if you have faced abuse, seek help when you're ready. Um, no one's going to force you to do that. It really is up to you. Um, but when you're ready, seek help from someone. Talk to someone that you trust. Talk to someone tonight if you'd like to. If you need to hold off, that's all right. But grab someone who you think can help you and chat to them about what's gone on. And they'll try and do what they can to connect with someone who can help. All right, we're going to leave that behind for now. I'm sorry if this is pretty heavy. Um, there's some bigger stuff beyond the heavy stuff that we need to see in this passage. And here's the first thing. It's a, it's a broader thing, right? Lust is always idolatry. In fact, that's not from this passage. We're going to leave this passage for a second. But lust is almost idolatry. See, when we misuse sex, it's, it's a form of idolatry. See, God says one thing about how we should live, and our desires say, well, I want this other thing. I want to do this other thing over here. And so we end up having to choose. Do we want to do what God says, or do we want to do what our desires want over here? And so when we choose this thing instead of God, it ends up as a form of idolatry. Um, just listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's up on the screen. <clears throat> It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So sexual immorality is any misuse of sex outside of marriage. It's a misuse of our sexuality. And so it is, it's, it's hooking up at parties, it's crossing the boundaries with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, it's... It's maybe not having sex, but it's being sexual together. It's pornography, it's lust in our minds. When we disobey God for the sake of our desires, we make an idol out of sex. It's like you say, God, I know you're there and I think you're pretty great, but I choose this thing instead of you. I choose it over you. And so I want to say, worship the one true God, not sex. And so when it's clearly... A disobedience to God, worship the one true God, not sex. Now, here's a, a couple of practical things really quickly. If you struggle with any sort of stuff to do with sexual immorality and the, the way you're using sex outside of marriage, 
um, I want to say to you, be honest with a friend on camp. Chat to someone here uh, and, and talk to them about what's going on for you. And, and I think often the power of sin is sometimes that we keep things secret and we feel like we're completely alone and we don't talk and we don't share. And so it'll be really helpful to talk to someone if you're wrestling with any of this stuff. Talk to a leader, talk to a mate tonight. <clears throat> Second, if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you're together, set clear boundaries. A bunch of you guys would have heard me talk about this already. Uh, you've probably seen me use this illustration. But set clear boundaries way back in the safe zone. You guys know on train tracks how you've kind of got, yeah, there you go, he's expecting, he's ready, train track thing, right? You've you got the train track and you've got a yellow line that's like way back here and they're like, stand behind the yellow line, please, and the monotone man says that over the voice thing. And they're like, like why don't they just paint the line here? If this is where the train might hit me, why don't they put the line, line here? Because the consequences are so serious, so you paint the line way back in the safe zone. So even if you make a small mistake, you're still not going to get picked up by train. With your physical boundaries, set them way back from the danger zone. And so even a small mistake will not be a big mistake. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 says, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality among God's people. And so, guys, make that your standard. Don't muck around with this stuff. Asking the question, no, how far is too far before I get burnt, is like, it's like playing with matches when you're soaked in petrol. You're asking the wrong question if you're like, how close to the line can I get before it's too much? You know, flee the other way. Run the other way from sexual immorality. All right, there's one thing. Here's the second thing, and this is back in, from our passage in, in 2 Samuel. True love is not idolatrous. So real love never leads a person into idolatry and sin. See, Amon thought he was in love. He calls it love but his actions showed otherwise. He wasn't really in love with Tamar. He was serving an idol, a twisted version of that. Now, um, do we do similar things with love? Hopefully not what this passage is talking about, but see, what about when we say to our girlfriend or boyfriend, I love you so much, I really, really love you, but then what we do is we end up getting carried away with them physically and sinning against them and sinning against God. Is that loving or is that idolatry? Because it's led you into sin. What about when we value our boyfriend or girlfriend over God? And so you're just more committed to them than you are to God. They win every time. And so you won't even come to youth or G teams or whatever unless they're going to be there with you. And if they're going to be doing something else, I'm going to go where they are because they're more important. Isn't that idolatry? What about when you obsess over that person who you're not dating that you like and it just consumes you. They're all you ever think about. Guys, it's not wrong to like each other, right? But you just got to think about what's going on in your hearts. You know, but they're all that you care about. They define when you're happy or sad. And so one night at youth group, he comes and sits next to you and you hang out together and you're just the, you're the king of the world. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. But the next week, she sits with someone else and now it's just like, my world is ending. She sat with that other guy and not me. And, and so they define your very happiness. It just controls everything. What if they're the one you're really worshipping and not God? I'll say this as well. It's never loving to love a girl or guy more than you love God. It's never a good thing to love someone more than you love God. It's actually not loving. Here's why. First of all, God hates it. We've seen it again and again. He's a jealous God. We, we saw the commandments from Exodus on the first night. Number one command, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And then secondly, love your neighbor. You've got to get that order right because God's always number one. He's a jealous God and he doesn't like being in second place. Secondly, it's actually bad for you. It's bad for you when you love someone else more than God. If you make your boyfriend or girlfriend into God, it'll make you crazy. It'll make you totally crazy. You'll be jealous. You'll be jealous in a bad way. You'll be insecure. Um, they won't be able to love you back the way you love them because you're secure. it'll end in a mess for you. But thirdly, it's bad for them. Imagine the pressure you feel when you're someone's boyfriend or girlfriend and they start treating you like putting you in the place of God in their life. It's pretty tough to be God for your boyfriend or girlfriend. That's a lot of pressure. And in my experience, when people turn their boyfriend or girlfriend into God (laughs) as an idol, well, first of all, usually their, their God ends up breaking up with them, right? Their boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with them because it's just too much. But secondly... That doesn't even solve the problem because there's always another girl or another guy that you could chase and pop back on that pedestal and say, you're my new God and I, <laughs> I worship you now instead. And so you can just kind of roll from one relationship to the next and never actually sorting this out until you get to the point where you make a commitment to have God as number one and stop worshipping relationships and this guy and that girl. Does that make sense? And, and only then will you make a good Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Idolaters make lousy boyfriends and girlfriends. True love isn't idolatrous. Number three. Guys, we need to replace this idol. You've heard it once, you've heard it twice. This is the third time you're going to hear it. We need to replace this idol with, with something worthwhile and we need to be rescued from it. Now, we, we've looked at the idol of love and sex tonight, right? We've seen an extreme example of it in our passage. Um, But this idol is, I think, alive and well for a bunch of us in our lives in different ways. And so how are we going to deal with it? I reckon often when you hear about idolatry and you feel guilty about it, I I literally had this conversation with one of you tonight. Like, I'm convicted, so what do I do about this? How do I deal with this stuff, right? I reckon our kind of our normal response is like, oh no, there's an idol. I better do something about it. I better get really angry and hate it now or something. I don't know how to deal with it. Yesterday we saw the answer and the day before. We need to be rescued from our idols and we need to replace them. We need to put the right thing back in the center and worship it instead. Come to our passage that we read earlier. Come to Romans chapter 8. And first of all, we're going to see our rescue. God's love rescues us from the idol of love and sex. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God's given us everything in Jesus. He's given us his own son to save us. And the result is verse 33. He says, who will bring any charge, accuse us of sin, who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It is God who justifies God loves us so much. He gave his precious one and only son on the cross so that whatever we've done, however you've messed up, however you've stuffed up, no matter how terrible your idols are, no matter what you've run after, you can be forgiven, washed clean of your sin, 
No one can accuse you of sin before God. No one can go, look at what that guy has done. Look at what that girl's done. He's saying there's no charge left. Just come up to the top of our, of, go to chapter 8, verse 1. It says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There's no penalty to be paid anymore. There's no guilt that remains if you are in Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you have him as your king and your saviour, then this idol problem is ultimately done with. There's no condemnation, there's no judgment for you to face. It's been paid by Jesus. And if you haven't become a Christian yet, I want to challenge you to do that tonight. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I want you to think about that. Will you become a Christian tonight? God's love rescues us from God's judgment of our idolatry. But you know what? God's love is also the thing that we need to replace our idol with. We've got to replace this idol by seeing God's love clearly. Um, Have a look at how good God's love is, how unstoppable, how unshakable it is. Look at the love that God has for you if you're a Christian. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you see how amazing God's love is? He's shown it so clearly in sending Jesus, and so there's nothing that can take that from you. Death, demons, suffering, life right now, life in the future. If you're a Christian, nothing can take God's love away from you. If you become a Christian tonight, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God that you've been shown in Christ Jesus. Do you guys see how good God's love is? It's so good. Think about how flimsy and pathetic our ideas of love are compared to this. God's love is never going to get bored of you and break up with you. God's love isn't going to let you down one day. God's love brings fulfillment that sex will never bring. God's love is stronger and more secure than any other love you'll experience. There's just no comparison. I think often when people are missing, sometimes when people are missing love in one place, they might go and look for it in the wrong places. So you'll see a little kid at school whose parents, he's not getting the attention he wants from his parents, and so at school he's acting all crazy to get attention there. Um, You you might see a guy or a girl who, who haven't been loved by their father well, maybe, and so, sadly, they might go and look for love in wrong places and and actually get used instead of finding love, and it's tragic. A right love from their father, a right love in the first place means they don't feel this need to go chasing love in the wrong direction. It's like that with God's love for us. Knowing God's love frees us from the need to go chase it in the wrong ways. And so focus on that. Rest in it. You don't have to go and chase that guy or that girl in your insecurity. God loves you. Doesn't matter if that girl or guy ever does notice you at all. Because God loves you. You could remain single and not be in a relationship and that's okay. God loves you. 
You, you can actually be with someone and have a healthy relationship with that guy or that girl. God loves you. That's okay. Sex won't bring you fulfillment, but God will. God loves you. He loves you enough to rescue you from this idol by sending Jesus. You can see it here in this passage. It's so amazing. Now, this week, if you've been listening, you've heard it again and again. Almost every day in every talk, you've heard the good news about Jesus. You're talking about the gospel all week. You've heard what a Christian is. Here's how you become a Christian. You really, you just say, God, I want to be a Christian. I want, I want to be what a Christian is. And so what you do is you turn from idols to serve the true and living God. That's called repentance, turning from your idols to serve God. And you trust in Jesus to save you. If you want to become a Christian tonight, you can do that by repenting of your sin, turning from your idols toward God to follow Him, and then trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness that's absolutely yours if you'd put your trust in Him. Here's what I'm going to pray. If you want to join me, you can become a Christian. You can pray later on another time. That's fine. Here's what I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be saying sorry for worshipping idols instead of you, God. I'm going to say sorry for that. I'm going to say, please forgive me because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And I'm going to say, please help me to live for you, worshipping you, not my idols. Please help me to do that, God. If you want to make that your prayer tonight, that can be your way of saying, God, I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. If you need to hold off, you can. We might do something like this tomorrow morning as well. Have a think. I'm going to pray. If you'd like to join me, let's pray now. God, we are deeply sorry for worshipping other things instead of you. We're sorry for our idolatry. Please forgive us through Jesus who died for us. And God, please help us to live now with Jesus as our King, worshipping Him and not our idols. Amen.